All right, guys, here with us today is an actress from one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid, Ernest Scared Stupid. She's also made an appearance in some of your favorite television shows, including Third Rock from the Sun, Star Trek The Next Generation, and The Lost. That's right, we're talking about Shay Astar. How are you today, Shay? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, allowing me to interview you. This is one of the interviews I've been looking forward to the most. And uh, Aww. Yeah, well, you know, Ernest Scared Stupid was one we watched multiple times a year. and so Oh, nice. I got like this nostalgia thing going on that I'm really excited to kind of delve into. So That is a movie that every year I get a lot of uh, people reaching out about. It's, it's one of those movies that had a significant impact on a lot of kids and um, people just have a really, like you say, a, a real nostalgia for it. So it's really nice to be able to be a part of something that meant something to a lot of people when they were kids. Absolutely. And it's not really something that you can know at the time either. Like you're, you know, you're an un- no. young actress working with Jim Varney and it's just like all of a sudden this movie, you know, tw- 20 years later is still really at least, at least 20 years later. No, it's more like 30 years ago. Closer yeah. To 30 years ago. I think this is the like 30 year anniversary or something. Wow. So something I got you like on that? the 30 year anniversary. That's awesome. I think this year, this year is yeah. the 30th anniversary. Very, very cool. Very cool. Awesome. So we're going to jump right into the questions. Great. Uh, you were around eight or nine when you started in the short film, The Clean Club. Who or what got you into acting? Um, well, my family had moved to Los Angeles from the Bay Area. And uh, just my mother was working in entertainment, not as a performer at that time, but just uh, working for a film company and happened to randomly meet uh, a children's agent who I'm not sure if she saw pictures of me and my older brother, but we went to meet with her and she wanted to take us on. It was very simple straightforward process. We met with an agent. She took us on and started sending us on auditions. And, uh, and my brother was not excited about it and wanted to stay home and play with his friends and have a normal life. And I just loved it so much. So I was thrilled to go on every audition and even more thrilled when I got my first job. That's awesome. So you, you, did you ever have that like that super nervous, I don't know what I'm doing when you're getting into an audition or was it pretty natural for you? Well, I had started training. I say training, even though I was three when I started taking ballet class. And for whatever reason, I took ballet very, very seriously. And I considered myself, you know, a ballerina in training. And when I started acting, I had the same intensity and professionalism involved with it. So it was always very serious work to me. And even more wonderful was that I loved it so much. Like I was so excited to be at my very first audition that I could barely read my lines. It was so thrilling. I was in, I just felt, I felt like I was at home instantly. So you were, you were made to do this. This was your calling. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, very very cool it's 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 i i listen to a lot of interviews and and read a lot of interviews and some actors and actresses have this very like 
um, casual approach to it. They're like, if they want me, they want me. If they don't, they don't. And it's, it's awesome to hear that you have such a professional driven approach to, to making this work for you. And it's inspiring. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of artists and actors and writers and performers in my family on both sides. So I really just think it's in the blood. And, but at the same time, I mean, as a child, a lot of kids who start acting do it because their parents want them to. And, and it also happens to be that a lot of young actors um, are, you know, either get involved because they have connections and it's, why wouldn't you? Or they're just so extraordinarily beautiful. It's almost like model scouting. And when people kind of fall into their careers that way, I think they can be incredibly successful and incredibly good at it, but it's very different than somebody who wants it and knows they want it and can ride the waves of success and not success. I completely agree. I completely agree. And that's with, that's with a lot of other things as well. Like um, take uh, high school sports, for example, mm. you know, there might be a very tall a young person and they kind of get, Oh, I'm tall. I'm probably going to be good at basketball, mm -hmm. volleyball, but you know, it's the, it's the, uh, the athlete that shows up to practice and gives 110%. That's going to be the star of the team. The tall guy might do very well, but you know, like you said, having that driven approach is, I think is better than having this kind of falling into that position. Well, I don't know if it, if it ultimately has that much bearing on success, certainly, you know, natural talent is, is meaningful both in sports and in entertainment. Um, but it's not always the most talented actors or the most talented musicians who become the most successful. Um, that being said, it's very easy to look at all of the big stars and understand they're there for a reason. But I think that the drive and the real love for the craft makes it a much more fulfilling endeavor for the artist themselves. You know, if you're there because you really, really need to be there and that's what you want to do with your life, then that is a fulfilling process from start to finish rather than falling into something that you happen to be good at, but you don't really know if that's what you deeply want. I, I've known a lot of people, successful people who've gone through that. And it's a very, very difficult thing to give up. If you're a very successful actor, then you're making a lot of money. You've got fame. You've got everything that you could ever want in life. And yet it's hard to give it up. It's hard to give it up. Yeah. And then, um, you know, that kind of harkens back to what my whole podcast is about is finding uh, people who were very much in love or still are very much in love with the acting, but, um, or music or what have you, but mm -hmm. um, they have these other passions. Like I just recently learned that Seth Rogen's getting into pottery, which is wow, yeah. very cool. It's, it's cool to, to, you know, sometimes we view celebrities as these like, untouchable like you know almost like gods there's people that even you know idolize and worship actors and actresses and mm -hmm. so when we get to see that um their passions outside of acting like um 
you know, pottery and what have you. It's, it's, it's really cool. And you can look at them more as like a, as a person instead of just a, an image on a screen, you know, pretty absolutely. Awesome. So moving on a little bit, it wasn't long before you jumped into doing television series. Do you recall a particular set or director that you really enjoyed working with? Well, I've always been incredibly lucky that I've worked with amazing, amazingly talented writers and actors and directors. Um, I did a, a series in the 90s, 93, 94, something like that called The Good Life that had, it was the first series that Drew Carey did before his show. And, um, and the director of the pilot was a director called John Rich. And John Rich was like an old school TV director. Um, and had directed all those like famous TV shows in the you know 50s and, or like the 60s. And he was so particular about you know what he was looking for that one day when I couldn't get a line right, he followed me off the set to the the um, the commissary where you know there's like lunch counters and everything, um, where I was about to have lunch. I mean, I was 12 years old or something at the time. And he followed me to lunch and stopped me and was like, what's happening? This line, it's not working. Like, and we stood there in line at the commissary with our lunch trays, like working out this moment. And I always remember that because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the line wasn't so significantly important, but he knew that it could be perfect. And he was right. And we got it right. And it got a huge laugh on the day. And I always remember that in terms of, you know, it's not really about being a perfectionist. It's about being tenacious and and going after what you know you can get. So it was a great lesson for me, not only as an actor, but just as an artist in general of really going after the vision and executing the vision. I love that. I love that. It's inspiring. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so... Ernest Scared Stupid was a was such a silly but strangely horrifying movie, and of course, it featured <laughs> the late Jim Varney. Do you remember yeah. what do you remember uh, most about working on that set? Well, I I've, I mean I've said this in interviews a lot, but Jim Varney was an incredibly intelligent man, and you know not only you have to be intelligent to be you know that level of comedic genius, but he was also just incredibly well-educated and knew so much about so much and would sit, my father was with me on the set where we shot that in Nashville and, and he and my dad would sit and talk about just like all this, I mean, astrophysics and, you know, the structure of the earth's crust and, and just, I, I wasn't shocked, but it's certainly not something that people think about when they first think about Jim Varney is that he was actually like an intellectually brilliant guy. You know, I totally believe that. Um, and like you said, you have to have that level of intelligence to portray this silly, fun, you goofy really character. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I wish I would have got to meet him. I'm, I'm incredibly jealous. He was a special man. We had all of the all of the movies. I couldn't name you all of them, but there's like Ernest Goes to Jail, Ernest Scares Stupid. Yeah, we, we as kids we grew up with with Jim Varney as like a household name for us. So 
Very cool. So um, you might be interested to know that the bed scene in that movie traumatized my wife as a child. And apparently, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently she's not alone. Has anyone else told you that that movie has scared them? Many, many people have told me that that movie and that scene in particular um, was, a, was a big moment in their childhoods. Yes, every time I've, <laughs> I think every interview that I've done about this movie, someone has mentioned just how terrifying that moment was for them. <laughs> um, so yes, yes. The answer to that is, is it is a, it was a, it was a traumatizing moment for many young people. I apologize to your wife. <laughs> you know, um, when we were talking about it, um, we, we were talking about horror movies that scared us as a kid and how it might've crafted our love for horror and, mm. you know, thrillers and, and scary movies in general. Um, and she couldn't remember the name of the movie or anything. She could only remember that scene. She's like, there was a little girl in bed and she turned over and there was this three nose, like disgusting looking ogre troll thing in bed with her. And it scared me so bad. I had to sleep for like a month with the lights on. And I'm like, we're, we're trying to I'm like the little girl in the bed. And I go, wait, Ernest scared stupid. That's a comedy movie. And it, yeah, it was just such a funny moment. Well, I will tell you actually, um, I won't say who it is just for people's privacy, but a very famous director um, explained to me once how well that scene is shot and what a good job the filmmakers did in creating those moments of suspense. And, and just, so I think that they would be very happy to hear that it had such an effect on your wife and on so many other kids that it was, Great directors agree that that scene was terrifying. <laughs> it, you know, it. I don't think it scared me quite as much. I was a little bit older than she was when I first watched it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it, it. It is like in, in out in the context of like a comedy movie. It's probably the scariest mm -hmm. scene in the whole movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I would say I would I would have to agree with you. So your most prolific TV series role was in Third Rock from the Sun, where you played August. Can you speak to that role and what it meant for your acting career? Well, that was a role where I got the sides, which are sides are just pages from the script that they send to actors so you can audition with them. I got the sides and I was like, this is my part. It was so me, you know, it was, it felt, and it's, it's very rare for me to read a script where I feel seen. I felt like someone knows me and wrote this character. So it was, um, it was just one of those beautiful moments where immediately upon reading it, I was like, this is perfect for me. And uh, it was, I mean, that was an extraordinary group of people from, from all those incredible actors to the writing team, to the directors that worked on that show. I mean, you know, the writing and producing team, those are, it was a ton of people from Saturday Night Live. So these are masters of comedy and, um, and working in that environment and with actors like Jane Curtin and John Lithgow, these are people at the top of their craft. So being around that was, you know, we were, I knew we were making something special uh, just because of the caliber of, of the people that I was with and, um, and watching 
those artists work every day was an incredible education that I, to this day, I feel like I still learn from remembering some of that experience and the way that the writers would come in with a new idea while we were filming and hand it to one of the actors who would then take it and create this beautiful new moment from it. It was an extraordinary experience for sure. That's really awesome. I loved that show growing up. I watched it it's all a the great time. show. <laughs> great show. So you were opposite. This isn't in the question list, but you were opposite to Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Have you mm -hmm. in any way stayed in touch with him or anything like that throughout? The I years? mean, in vaguely, vaguely, like we definitely are not like, so what's up this weekend, man, at all. But yeah. yes, we've stayed in touch. Yeah, he's a he's a phenomenal actor himself. So yes, he is a yes, very good, is. a very good opposite for you to act with. I felt like we we were I felt very lucky to be able to work with those people. And yeah, he's an extraordinary actor. Yes. Yes. Awesome. 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 So um, could you tell us about working on All Cheerleaders Die? Yeah, I mean, so the writers and directors of All Cheerleaders Die are Lucky McKee and Chris Sievertson. Chris Sievertson uh, directed this movie, The Lost, that I did you know, a number of years ago and Lucky produced it. That was an amazing experience. I loved working with those guys. They're just incredible filmmakers and wonderful, wonderful people. Um, so All Cheerleaders Die was really uh, a movie that they, and some of the other actors that were in The Lost are in that movie as well. But anyway, they, had, they just called me to do a, a role in it and um, licensed one of my songs for the movie as well. So there's a song. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I um definitely spent some time checking out your YouTube channel and, and listening to your music. And I, it's very good. I, I Thank very you. Much like it. Thank you. There's one where you're playing live and like a, it looks like maybe a, a I couldn't tell maybe a, a bar or a bookstore. I, I couldn't really tell from mm -hmm. the background, but yeah, it was a really, it's a really touching uh, style. I really like it. It's very Thank cool. Thank you. Thank I'll you. And for anybody listening, I'll put a link in the description of the podcast so that you guys can check out Shay's music as well. So Land of Wandering is a short that you wrote for. Could you tell us or could you let us in on this process that you go through when you're writing something like this? Yeah, Land of Wandering was a, a very special project. I had worked with uh, a director, an artist and director called Sarah Louise Wilson. I'd done a short film with her and I just thought she was such a genius. Um, and she offered to do, you know, a music video for me. And then as we started talking about a music video, a music video, this idea of doing this whole film and, you know, taking, taking a, a play out of like the, the song remains the same kind of music films where each song has its own, you know, story or at least some kind of narrative vignette. Um, we really collaborated so beautifully on, on putting that project together. And it was, we recorded the EP, this like live five song EP in my apartment and then shot these, these stories to go with it. Um, and, so doing that with, I mean, literally Sarah and I would get together and just talk through it, you know, what everything, how everything was going to work. And, and it was really letting the songs inform the story and really just trying to visualize the songs, not in, 
you know, this perfectly obvious way because some of the songs were very particular storylines and then we weren't gonna exactly act them out. But being able to bring those visually out was, was really an incredible process. And then we also did a live show um, at the Art Share in downtown LA that was amazing again with dancers and, you know, and like, uh, and like narrative pieces and then the band playing live. And it was just, that was such an incredibly fulfilling artistic experience to make that, that film and, and record that music and, and perform those songs. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. The band's there in the house and we're recording live and, you know, filming these crazy things. And, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of help and a lot of friends come in and, you know, participate and it was just, so great that's awesome so it's one of those memories you'll cherish forever and ever i'm sure oh yeah for sure for sure very cool and um stemming off that have many people approached you and and from that perspective and saying hey you know we'd like you to help us write or we'd like to use some of your music is that stemmed from off of that very much yeah i've done a lot of i've done a lot of um in in recent years since i had my child um and I haven't been and also we're in a pandemic and just haven't been performing um I've done a lot more writing uh I wrote and directed a short film that is not finished uh it still needs to be edited and scored but I have definitely since doing Land of Wandering branched out into creating more of my own content instead of just being hired um, so that's, yeah, it's been a big change and I've done, you know, I've, I've worked with people on soundtrack and I've done like music consulting for people's films. And, um, I've done a lot of, I've always uh, done a lot of like writing help for other songwriters and like helped people write songs and, um, and, you know, worked with writers for sure. But at the moment, because I, I have been kind of limited in my work because I'm, you know, taking care of my little kid and pandemic and it's uh, I've been focused on my own projects. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. It's like, um, I feel like writing can be such a constructive outlet as well to write and get your thoughts and ideas and even your ambitions out on, on paper and into, into, um, you know, different forms of media and content. So I'm, I'm excited. So uh, go ahead. I've always considered myself a writer. Um, I wasn't doing it professionally until I was, until I started writing songs, but I didn't see that as being a different thing than writing a script or, you know, it's, it's still a, a very specific creative process. So I've always been writing. I've been writing for many years and it's just in, it's just in recent years that it's it's moved a little bit out of just songwriting and into more like screenwriting and writing for stage and like writing, you know, for Land of Wandering and the live show and, you know, creating more content. Awesome. Well, I'm, I was going to say, I'm, I'm very excited to see your short film whenever it, it's made available to the public. I'd thank be you. very much interested in that. And thank you. Um, and if it's out by the time this podcast is out or even after I can retroactively put the link in the description for anybody who wants to check it out as well. I will definitely send it to you when it's ready. I would hope it'll, it'll come out this year. It really just depends on childcare and school and what happens with, 
if, if things are, you know, open again. Get it. I have a four-year-old and um, just to oh, record yeah. this, just to record this interview, my wife brought him to the playground to play for a couple hours while, so we could talk because oh, he yeah. he's, he's too wild to be in here. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Mine's too. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I loved two. Everyone says that's the terrible twos, but it's the three neighbors no. that got me. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, no, two's been so much fun and he's so adorable and so funny and interesting and so, so sweet. So awesome. We'll see. We'll I see love what it. Happens. I love it. I've, I, I, did you, and this is off the script. I'm so sorry, but like so many people, um, including myself and my wife fell into being a parent so easily and so naturally was, was that easy for you or was it something that you kind of had to work at and learn about? You know, it was, I was ready. I was very ready to have my kid. Um, but I was, I was surprised that it changed me so much. Just, you know, physically, emotionally, I was expecting to work throughout my whole pregnancy and maintain the same level of discipline and productivity which was impossible. I, I expected to have an easy pregnancy, which I had a healthy pregnancy. I had an uncomplicated pregnancy, but I was exhausted and sick and felt like my brain had just shut off. And that was really difficult because I, I had a, a lot of trouble um, focusing and, and being productive. And when you're trying to create original content, it's not like I've got a list of things that someone else is expecting me to do. It all had to be self-generated. And that was incredibly challenging. And then I certainly expected that after my son was born that, you know, I'd take a couple weeks off and then get right back to it. And that is not what happened. So it was a big change and a big transition for me because my life was 100% focused on my work. And I expected that that to a large degree would continue and it did not. It completely changed, you know, the amount of work I was able to do and my availability to my work because, you know, you have a tiny child and it, it, you just can't work full time. I mean, I, you know, could have put him in daycare and, and worked full time, but that just wasn't the, that wasn't the choice that we made. So it's uh, it was a big change for me. Yeah, it was a big change. Definitely, definitely. Going back to when you said that your brain just shut off. Oh, it um, did. Yeah. I remember a moment um, during my wife's pregnancy. We must have been seven months in, so she was she was getting up there and and getting close to having our son. Mm -hmm. And um, we wanted to go to the store, and we searched the whole house for the the keys. We could not find them. Yeah. We checked her purse everywhere and they were in her hand the whole time <laughs> i sympathize with yep. your wife yeah it's that she called it my pregnancy brain like don't judge yes. me today my pregnancy it's brain true. is it's true yeah. it's true it's it's so real and i didn't i just didn't know that was gonna happen yeah awesome well um and a lot of people um actors and actresses and, and people found that you know having this new love and something that you, you know, completely give everything, every part of you to, um, 
can be very profound and, and influence your writing and your work until a more vulnerable and loving spot. Did you find that that happened at all? Like, Well, I will say I felt that having a child really brought up a lot of things that I wasn't looking at. Um, and if I can say it a little bit more clearly, uh, I feel like any suppressed emotion, you know, any, you know, latent trauma, even things like, oh, the mean things that kids said to me in school, all that stuff was coming up. And maybe it was because I was so sleep deprived that I had no defenses against my own emotions or no ability to, you know, push it down. So it was like, and I, you know, I've, I've had lots of therapy and, and done a lot of that kind of work, but it was very different after having my son. And also that I wanted to be 100% authentic and 100% myself with him. So I didn't want to be hiding. I didn't want to be pretending anything because I know that he can see the truth. And so he can see if I'm pretending and he can see if I'm anxious and I just became hyper aware of everything that I was doing. And any time that I, you know, snapped at my husband or any time I wasn't being honest about how I felt, any time that I said, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, when it was not fine. And that really kind of threw me into a new self-discovery of recognizing I don't want anything to be pushed down anymore. I want to be brave enough to confront whatever it is that's inside me so that I can confront whatever it is that's outside me. And that really set me off on, on a whole new journey of mental health and self-care and, and learning to really take care of myself in a new way and have a respect for myself physically that as an actress was a whole new ball game. You know, you learn to be thin and pretty as an actress, but learning to love your own body and take care of yourself and have some respect is not the Hollywood lesson. I did not get that lesson from Hollywood. I had to learn it and I had to learn it. So yeah, it's a big change. Awesome. I think when you, when you use the word bravery, when looking into your own emotions, I think you hit the nail. I think you hit the nail right on the head with that because, um, you know, it's definitely different from a father's perspective. You know, I didn't carry the child and, you know, but I, I find that I can be honest with myself more and I can be more vulnerable than I have been mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I hope that, and I'm sure you do too, that that translates to our kids, that they can learn to be vulnerable and, and brave at the same time. So there's a, there's a spiritual leader who said, your children aren't going to listen to anything you say, but they're going to watch everything you do. So I, I think that. that, you know, your ability to be present and really honest with yourself and really vulnerable and, and just present, just bring your full self and your full involvement to this moment. I think your kids can see that. And that is the best thing I think that I can do for my, for my kid. So that's what I'm always working on. That's amazing. So um, moving on a little, 
So, uh, Ruth, the 2017 short you starred in is a dark, thoughtful, and emotional. In it, you delivered an incredible monologue. What What does the message behind this short mean to you? Well, you know, I I really loved working on that movie. You know, Rose McGowan had written it and was directing it, and and she's she's a, a really extraordinary artist. And you know, she had a very clear vision how she wanted to make that film and it was very easy to see through her eyes what she was going for and that movie is about a real woman who uh you know found out that these young men were dying of AIDS alone without any love or contact and being disowned by their families and she you know took, she took them on as her own and she loved them and she buried them. And it's just compassion. It's just a person who saw someone suffering and said, well, I'm here. I can, I can hold your hand. I can help. And I think that's, that's everything. That's the most basic lesson of humanity is, you know, we're all one. So this person's suffering is your suffering. And if you can help, you help. That's, that's what my family taught me. And, and that's what that movie was about, was just about somebody who was showing compassion. Yeah, you know, it was, I'm at a loss for words. Yes, that movie or that short was, it was powerful. I probably watched it. 10 times between when I asked to see, to interview you and today it's, I, you know, I'd be lying if I said that it doesn't strike like an emotional chord with me. It's it. You, yeah. It, the, the message you're acting, everything was spot on. And I really encourage anybody listening to watch Ruth. It's, Thank you. it's, it'll give you goosebumps. I guarantee it the first time you watch it. Thank you. It was a, it was a beautiful experience and Rose was, was uh, incredible to work with. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's, you know, she's, she's a really incredible person on her own, right? As yeah. Well. Yeah, she is. So we did mention, um, uh, your singing and songwriting. What, uh, what does music, let me start over. What role does mm-hmm. performing music play in your life? Well, I started playing music, um, when I was in my early twenties and I started because I was not working as much as an actress as I had been. And I was getting bored and I needed an outlet. And I, I didn't start playing music thinking that I was going to be a singer songwriter. I started playing music thinking I was going to become just the most badass guitarist. I was thinking about Jimi Hendrix and I was thinking about, um, you know, Robert Johnson, and I was thinking about the blues, and I was thinking about rock and roll, and I was thinking about Robbie Robertson, and I was like, I'm gonna do it. And so I thought I was gonna go home and start just shredding these sick leads. And instead, what I did is I took a guitar that was in my family and went home and started learning basic chords. Like I, I went out and bought guitar for dummies and learned just basic chords. And within about a week, I'd written a song. And I was like, okay. And then I played that song for some people and they were like, um, 
this is great. So I kept doing that. And I found that it was, it was very, very natural. Um, I mean, my mother was a songwriter, so I was not so surprised that it happened, but um, it, it doesn't feel like it occupies that different of a space for me as than acting. They're, they're part of the same universe as far as I'm concerned for my experience. Um, but the great thing about music is that you can do so much on your own. I don't need anybody to hire me to write songs or to play songs. You can write your own songs, rehearse them with your band, go out and play shows. And that's, I mean, I did that for years and years, just played clubs all over the place and toured and made records. And, and then I started doing um, like, you know, taking gigs, doing like backing vocals for people or like singing, you know, singing on people's, you know, demos that they're sending out. And, um, and then I started getting hired to, to do like cabarets and stuff like that, singing like standards. And, and um, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, performing in front of a live audience is, is so special because you really, the energy is, it's not just about you on stage, it's about them as well. So, and you can feel their excitement or lack thereof. So it's a really immediate, you get the review while you're doing it, while you're on stage. And, and that part is so fun. And it's just an incredible amount of energy and, and flowing between you and the audience. And just, it's, it's an incredible experience performing live. I love it. And I'm missing it so much because, you know, streaming a, a you know, a Zoom call with my guitar is not the same as being in a room with people. Um, but yeah, it's just, and also I just think maybe my greatest contribution to music is being a fan. I just love music so much. I love all genres of music and I'm never gonna be a virtuoso. I'm always going to be learning. I'm always going to be at the beginning. And it's so exciting that there are so many people who have taken music to such a level that it's like, it just blows my mind. It's like they're in a different stratosphere. Yeah. 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 And I like that. I like the, what you said, just your biggest contribution to music is being a fan. I feel the same way. I, I really love that. Yeah. I'm gonna have to hold on to that. I like that. Um, I don't, I didn't say it first. I believe that that came from Keith Richards. I believe that oh, that's where I heard that. Keith Richards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, going back to what you said about feeling the mood and, and everything in the room as you're recording. Um, one of my last guests, Brendan Brown from Weedus had talked about um, a long time ago, his band gave up set lists and what they do mm -hmm. is they let the crowd tell them what they want to hear. Oh, how fun. Yeah. And I thought that that kind of, you know, goes along with what you were saying about reading the room, seeing what they want to hear, because at the end of the day, it's for them. You know, you're having yeah. as much fun as they are, but the show is for them. So give them what they want, you know? Mm -hmm. Awesome. 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 So um, moving on a little bit, you grew up in Santa Cruz. Could you shout out any food spots from your youth? I actually was born in Santa Cruz, but I grew up in the East Bay. Oh, okay. So, um, 
no, I can't because we moved to Los Angeles when I was seven. So I was not much of a foodie back then. Um, What about now? Yeah. Now I can certainly talk about food in Los Angeles. Sure. What, what, what's your, what's your endless there's everything here. What's your favorite food that you would be like, Oh, I want to go to a great, this kind of a place. Um, for me, it always comes down to sushi. Oh, well, I mean, (laughs) you're you're in the epicenter down in LA. I mean, there's literally like, if you go to, you know, little Tokyo, there's like little hole in the wall sushi places, um, where they're, you know, they're getting their fish from the, from the fish markets, you know, first thing in the morning. I've also had friends go to the fish markets first thing in the morning and then make sushi, which is incredible. And then there's like super high level joints where you can go and spend, you know, $3,000 and not even be full. So every single like level of sushi, bad sushi, amazing, (laughs) cheap sushi, amazing, super expensive. It's all here. It's all here. I love that. I'll have to spend more time. The last time I was in Los Angeles was 2011 and it was a, passing through things so i didn't get to get any of the amazing sushi down there but i'm gonna have to la is really it's really the way to experience this city in my opinion is really to experience a neighborhood because the way that this city is built is not the way a typical city is built which is like a center a city center and then like a sort of satellite um like neighborhoods around it los angeles has a lot of centers so all of the neighborhoods are their own small city. And it's really, really difficult to get any kind of a feel for this city if you're here for a few days and you're like traveling back and forth to like, you know, to sightsee or to tourist destinations. The best way to see it is to find a neighborhood that you think is really cool and interesting and stay there for a week and get to know the restaurants and the nightlife and the people and the shops in that part of town because you cannot do you i mean people live here for two years before they really have a sense of how the city is laid out and where to go and they don't even know about this neighborhood it's so big you have to pick your your section awesome i will remember that i'll i'll pick a a neighborhood i'll get an airbnb for a week or two and i'll just explore you know that's the way to do it let my heart do it let my heart and my stomach guide me (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So uh, moving on a little bit, uh, will you uh, and when do you think it'll be when you let your kids watch Ernest Scared Stupid? Oh, um, I mean, my son is two. No time soon. Not any time soon. Yep. <laughs> I'm not thinking about that yet. Um, yeah, it's it's not even on my radar. And I also don't care if he ever sees it in, you know, in terms of it. it it's not that meaningful for me if he ever watches my stuff. And most of my actor friends who have kids, their kids are not interested. <laughs> They're just like, turn it off. <laughs> Lame. We see Wait, you. My mom day. is in it. Lame. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No one's cool to their kids. That's true. That's absolutely true. I love my mom and my dad implicitly, but yeah, they're, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, so, cool. that's not true. There, there are people who are cool to their kids. Like, I definitely did think my parents were cool as an adult. Yeah. As a little kid, no, 
but, but yeah, but they're probably not going to be your fan and buy all your movies, you know? <laughs> no. And they shouldn't. <laughs> no, that should be so boring to them because I'm there all the time and yeah. totally available to them. Totally. So, yeah. Totally. Awesome. Awesome. So um, what's, what's on the horizon for you? What's coming up with you? Um, a pretty big writing project um, that I've been just chipping away at for quite some time that hopefully will, you know, I'll be able to move forward with it sometime soon. Um, I have a short film that'll be coming out hopefully this year. Um, a record of, of new music that I did with my electronica partner. Um, we have a, I, I started working with this electronica artist like 15 years ago and we we kept working together and working together and then like he would move away or then I would have to leave to do a movie or then you know, this weird thing happened or then that. So we could never quite finish anything. And then, you know, we would get close to finishing something and both of our musical directions would change. Um, so we have this, this uh, collection of songs that I think are going to be released soon. And they're really completely different than anything else that I do. So that'll be exciting. It'll just be a whole new world for me to release that, that kind of music. And, um, so there's a lot actually. And awesome. then there's another movie that I did that's coming out this year, next year, that I did with Chris Evertson. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about it yet, so I won't, Okay. but another movie, a new record, uh, my own short, and then another, another secret project. <laughs> Very cool. So much on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how do people keep up to date with what you're doing? Where should they go to follow you? The easiest place to follow me is Instagram. Um, it's a picture of me. It's it's me. It's my name. It's just Shay Aster. Um, well, Shay dot Aster. Uh, that's an easy place to keep up because I will post, you know, whatever's coming out and links and everything. So that's an easy place. People also, I do have people who follow me on Facebook for the same reason. I'm just not very active on Facebook. I'm not that active on Instagram either. I mostly post a bunch of political stuff. <laughs> kind of a season for it. <laughs> yeah. And then, but I, I will keep, I do keep, you know, my social media up to date when I have stuff being released. So that's a good way. And then, um, yeah, that's, that's a good way to keep in touch with me. And, and sure. I do love to hear from people who are interested in what I'm doing. So. Awesome. And I will, for anybody listening, I will put a link to, Shay's Instagram in the in the comment box below in the description box below rather. Um, so that's Shay. That's pretty much it. That's all the questions Great. I have for you. Is there anything that you'd like to plug or talk about before we jump off? Um, no, I think I I think I plugged as much as I can plug before things are actually being released. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. So thanks very much for the talk. Yeah, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. I can't wait to get this back to you all edited and ready to go. Thank you. Awesome. Really Thank had so a great much. time. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I have to say that Shay was an absolute blast to interview. I would love to have her back on the show. Of course, I will have links to everything that we talked about down below. If you have suggestions, comments, or just want to reach out, you can find me at Twitter at DitchingP. That's D-I-T-C-H-I-N-G-P on Twitter. In our next episode, we talk to former erotic actress Angel Piaf, so make sure you follow or subscribe so you don't miss that. Oh, and remember to stay gnarly, my friends.